And then one day I get up, she's made me a bowl of Cheerios and a coffee. Halfway through it, my eyes start bulging out my head. So I speak to the doctors, the emergency doctor, they say, Harley, we'll get an ambulance to you. So we go into a quarantine room and I tell them, you know, but this has happened countless times, at a minimum of 20 times. So they send me off for a blood test. When I leave Cheltenham Hospital, I give her a call. She said, what are you going to do when they find out that I poisoned you then? Welcome to Why Daddy Never Cries podcast with your host, Chuck Kelleher. At Why Daddy Never Cries, we'll explore the lives surrounding daddies, their children, divorce, and silent domestic violence. We'll hear real-life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives. We'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground. Hang in there, daddies. Chuck's here. Chuck Kelleher and Why Daddy Never Cries are providing this podcast as a public service. I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor a mental health professional. He's not a doctor nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries employees or our guests are their own. Guest appearance on the program do not imply an endorsement of them, their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please, for the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about your unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Voss G2, for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VossG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade. All right, brothers and sisters. Just when you think these shows can't get any more insane, here we go. And you know what? Poisoning your spouse? It's not a one-off show, is it? You're hearing about this more and more. Harley's story definitely has some twists and turns. All right, let's get into it. Harley, welcome to the Why Daddy Never Cries podcast. What's up, brother? Well, what's up is I've not seen my children for six years now. God. Apart from a few times in a contact center. The contact center for the children, it was humiliating. You know, I can get round people sitting there with clipboards and recording the horrific stories that the children were telling us. What I can't get over is the fact that these children sitting there reporting or, or telling me what they had experienced. And the social workers had absolutely no intention of safeguarding these children. How old are the children? So at the time, the children would have been eight and nine. Twin boys the age of nine and girl age eight. The best place to start with this story is right at the very start. Beautiful. 2006, uh, I find out that my then girlfriend has given her father a credit card in my name. He's made her a executive in his karaoke business. This karaoke business fails and there is no money. I've got the debt to deal with. She took a chance. She messed up. We paid for it. We got through it. Not okay. tidily, but we got through it. She said that she would never really speak to her father again, which was all her decision. 
never would I tell somebody that I couldn't speak to their dad or, or influence that. But I said, I don't want nothing to do with a man. You know, if he can rip off his own daughter. I agree. So uh, that was 2006. We put that behind us. I worked through it all. Then 2016, I'm becoming ill. And I'm a workaholic. So I don't take much time off work ever. Take any time off work, as it were. And then one day I get up. She's made me a bowl of Cheerios and a coffee. <laughs> Halfway through it, my eyes start bulging out my head. Oh, shit. A serious headache. Obviously, I sprint off to the toilet again, empty my bowels. I come down from the toilet and I say to her, I'm not going to go to work today. I'm going to go to the doctor's. I'm going to get this sorted out because this isn't right. This has happened, you know, countless times now. So I speak to the doctors, the emergency doctor. They say, Harley, we'll get an ambulance to you. And I'm like, sorry, I don't want an ambulance outside my house. All right. It is quite a regular occurrence that this happens a couple of times a week. You know, after a couple of hours, I'll be fine. I don't want to be climbing into an ambulance. I don't want the neighbours talking about me like that. So uh, they said, right, well, you've got to get to hospital. Have you got somebody that can drive you? And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. You know, And they're like, no, you are not driving yourself to hospital. Okay, can you drive me to the hospital? She says, yes. The lady on the other end of the phone says, I want to speak to that girl. Who is it? That's my partner. She agrees over the phone to drive me to the hospital. I then go upstairs, use the toilet a bit quick, shower, wasn't up there more than five minutes, come downstairs, the house was empty. <laughs> oh, God. So I phoned her up. Where are you? She said, I'm on my way to work. I said, you're supposed to be taking me to the hospital. And she's like, you can drive yourself. Mm. I said, yeah, but you've agreed. You know, they were going to send an ambulance. She was like, don't be stupid. You can drive yourself. All right, you know, I'm a big boy. Can stand on my own two feet. Right. So I jump in the car, take myself off to Cheltenham Hospital. Get there, there's two nurses waiting for me as I get to the door. Mr. Radford, yeah, where's your partner? Because we need to uh, quarantine the pair of you. I'm like, oh, um, she's on her way to work. Well, can you phone her up and get her back here? Because we need her here. I'm like, um, no, not really. Well, she can't be far away. I said, well, actually, she is. He said, you just drove yourself here, didn't you? I said, yeah. He said, we told you not to. I said, well, as you know, I did have somebody drive me here, but they've gone to work. Right. So we go into a quarantine room, and I tell them, you know, but this has happened countless times, at a minimum of 20 times, where I've gotten home from work and then turned sick. After eating something. Said, are you sure that your relationship's okay? I'm like, there's nothing at all wrong with my relationship. It's fine. You know, we've got a very good family lovely family she said because we believe that this is poison and i'm like right, no way anybody's poisoning me so they asked this question several times they said right we're going to make a note on your files about this all right so they send me off for a blood test so i have to leave Cheltenham hospital and go to gloucester hospital okay when i leave Cheltenham hospital i give her a call i'm like they're not happy that you didn't drive me to the hospital she's like what are you doing this and i'm on my way to uh to Gloucester Hospital to have this blood test. She said, what are you going to do when they find out that I've poisoned you then? I said, hey, you cooking end that bad. Anyway, um, I have a blood test come she, out. She really made that joke? She, I genuinely promise you she made that joke. God. Right. And this is how savage I am. You know, I just thought, you know, it's just, just us having a crack. 
We do the same jokes, man. I'm from Brooklyn. Our jokes, they sound mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Anyway, I come out of a blood test in Gloucester Hospital. Phone her up. I'm like, right, I'm going to go pick up the kids from your mum's. No, 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 don't do that. You know, we, we go off tonight and, you know, it'd just be us. All right, no problem. How did you get on it from the hospital? Yeah, well, they've done the blood test. What are you going to do when you find out that I poisoned you then? So that's the second time she said it. Right. Oh, look, hey, you said that earlier, mind. Your cooking ain't that bad. Made a joke of it again. Mm-hmm. That, that sort of thing. See you later at home. Right, no problem. I forget all about it. You know, it is what it is. Two days later, the nurse phones me up and says, Hardy, you know, I'm quite concerned, you know. Are you sure everything's okay? I'm like, look, be my me. She says, we have the crack. There ain't no way she'd be poisoning me. Not like hey, what you're telling me, you know, not deliberately. Two days later, I've not seen her since because I've been at work. Okay. I uh, walk into the house and I'm only in there for 45 minutes, all right, in the house, three o'clock in the morning. She appears at the uh, bottom set. I said, hey, look, I didn't mean to wake you up. I'm on my way straight back out the door for another job. I said, you know, um, you know that nurse that I was telling you about? I said, she phoned me up one day. She wants to know, are we okay? She was like, yeah, of course we are. That's because she seems to think that I've been poisoned. She said, I told you I poisoned you. I said, you just find it funny. She said, you, you just simply wouldn't die. And I promise you, I said, it, it'll take more than a bit of poison to kill me off. She went, yeah, clearly. Oh, God. And I promise you, I pecked her on the forehead and I smacked her on the ass. All right, just tapped her on the mm-hmm. ass. And I walked back out that door. I thought, that's quite odd. Being at that time of the day, I simply jumped back in the car and all I was focused on was work. Right. What I've got to do, you know, which is an extremely important job that I had, a lot of responsibility, which took up 90% of my thought how I'm going to tackle these obstructions and didn't think a single bit of it. And then four months later, working out on the M1, I've got people working in a confined space full of gas. I get a phone call from somebody else saying we need a truck down in Paris tomorrow night. Is there any chance you can do it? I don't know, that'd be tight, but leave it with me. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. So with that, I needed my passport. So I tried to phone up the girlfriend to get the passport delivered to that person's office. Didn't answer. Two hours later, which was half past ten at night, I get a phone call from a stranger. It says, um, you're right, Harley, you, you kind of know me, but you don't. He said, I'm, uh, I'm your sister-in-law's new boyfriend. All right, okay, what's up? Well, I've got a message for you that you're never going to see your children again. What? So, no, Amanda's left you, and she wants me to tell you that you're never going to see her or your children ever again. And I'm like, that's not something you want to be joking about. Yeah. All right. And he's like, Arlie, I'm not joking. Deadly serious. You're never going to see them kids again. Right, well, I'm going to leave this job. Now, I've got the M1 shut off. They've shut it off simply for me to go out there and do this job. I'm going to leave this job, and I'm going to do the two-and-a-half-hour drive home. And my children want to be there Yeah. when I get home, in their beds, safe. So obviously, uh, when I get home, it's like half 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, house was empty. That's when I get home to an empty house. The safe was empty. Children's passports were gone. All of our money was gone. She wasn't picking up the phone. So I phoned up the police. I said, look, this is the situation. I've just driven home after I've been towed. 
that I'm never going to see her or his children again. The police then said, right, well, we're going to report this as a person of concern. She said, you need to speak to a family member of hers to find out what's going on. So I tried to phone up her mother. She wouldn't pick up the phone. The father I didn't have any relationship with. The daughter from another relationship wouldn't pick up the phone. I was pretty much left with my son. He was told he was to have absolutely no relationship with me at all. Maybe he was 17 years old at the time. He wouldn't pick up the phone either. So I bump into him a few days later and I'm like, what's going on? He said, Dad, he said, I told you mum was acting strange. He said a few weeks ago. He said, I got up Wednesday morning and she said, I'm leaving your dad today. And he was like, really? Why? What's going on? She wouldn't tell him. It's her son too? Yeah. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, but okay. Mutual stuff. Okay. So now uh, fast forward in a few months, Callum did go on to say, if ever I'd seen you abuse my mum, I would be in that court telling mum about it. Absolutely. All right. So had to part our ways because I obviously had to go to work and he worked away as well. We messaged each other and and then it kind of went a little bit quiet and he got further and further away from telling me what was going on in his life. And he was saying, if I have any relationship with you, I'm not going to be able to see my mum. You know, she won't let me see the children. It was ripping his life apart. He was sort of like starting a life outside the family home as well. He knew that I worked away, you know, a lot. And he was pretty much going to do the same thing, working away up the road. He was like, hopefully within a few weeks, this will have all blown over and back to good family life and didn't happen. So obviously going out of my head, I was trying to get a hold of Gloucestershire Police and I spoke to one of the police officers and he said, you are going to go into the darkest place they can push a human being. I said, right, what's going on? He said, we don't know. He said, but all I can tell you, she's in a refuge for women. Yeah, that's where mine went. And I'm like, so what is she doing in a women's refuge? He said, we don't know. I said, is this for beaten women? Or He said, yeah, yeah, exactly that, for beaten women. He said, did you... I said, absolutely no way did I lay a finger on this woman. In fact, I'm so busy with work, I can do up to 130 hours a week. Genuinely, the drainage industry that I worked in and offshore, that was all I did was work. Didn't have time to think. Now, I worked for my family, you know. It was everything I did was for my family. Of course. Now, we were booking our Christmas holiday to Disney World, Florida again. So this was on the Wednesday. In fact, it is this August bank holiday in the UK, the last day I spent with my children in 2017. I'm sorry, brother. This will be exactly six years. So we spent the day together. No arguments at all. Lovely family, you know, day, day out over the bank holiday weekend. And on the Wednesday, I was at home ready to go to work i had to leave at two o'clock in the afternoon for the night shift mm-hmm. and she came up the stairs chasing one of the boys all right and this boy he was an absolute darling he wasn't the one that fitted into the boxes you know yep he uh, he didn't take many boxes he was a, an absolute bundle of joy this little boy and she slapped him around the face and i, I opened up the toilet door and i was like what are you doing i said what's he done to deserve that being a little shit okay so anyway, I leave the toilet, pick him up, take him downstairs. And, I can't leave you here with you treating the children like this. It's not on. 
I said, you, you genuinely need help, man. And she said, oh, I'm getting help. I said, no, 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 I'm going to get involved, all right? Because this medication and everything else that they've got you on, it ain't working for you. And she's like, do you promise? I said, yeah, as soon as this job out there on the M1 is finished, all right, I'm going to focus on you. And she came over, she sat on my lap, and she said, you know, I love you, don't you? I said, yeah, I love you too, you know, but, you know, whatever the problem is, we're going to get through it. We're sorted. Of course. With that. She had every option then to tell me what she had done. So after she had left, I went round and spoke to one of her friends. I said, look, what, what do you know about Miss Bermondi? She said, I don't know anything, Arnie. Other than she's lent her father money and he can't give it back. Sorry, this was before she left you. Yeah, so she had given her father what we believed to be £14,500. She needed, we needed that, she needed that to be replaced because when I returned home on the Saturday, I was going to look through all of our finances, make sure that we were good and straight for our holiday to Disney in December. Obviously, I was going to see a massive black hole in our finances. Yeah. 14K so is hard to hide. Her, her father demanded that she run and run for her life because he's ripped us off before. So between August 28th and December the 17th, I have absolutely no contact with the children. She's living in a women's refuge. I believe I'm speaking to Callum on Messenger. All right. And it wasn't Callum, it was her. Right. He's hiding behind our son. Come the court case, 17th of December, I get confronted with a women's aid barrister at Gloucester Court. And she's like, hello, Harley. Yeah. Now I know this women's aid barrister. And my mother knows this women's aid barrister. Really? This woman that barrister hasn't recognised us. So she, I'm like, why are we here in court? She said, I don't know. I said, look, why is she in a women's refuge? We don't know. What we don't want is we don't want you in court. Well, we're too late, right? Because you've, you know, these children have been kidnapped. And today I want answers as to why I've not seen my children and why she's in a women's refuge. So we go into the courtroom. There isn't any answers. She is sitting in a back room, refuses to come into the court, refuses to give any answers at all. So we then fast forward to the end of February 2019. We have another day in court. Still no answers as to what she's doing in a women's refuge. So she's like, he's going to kill me. He's threatened to kill me. I've never threatened anybody in my life. My, my whole job in my whole life, outlook in life is based on health and safety. You know, I've got a massive education in health and safety. If it's going to hurt somebody, don't do it. It's that simple. Find a way around it. You know, there's always a way around that nobody ever needs to be hurt. So that's my mentality. With um, with her very first statement, she's written, Harley did absolutely nothing to me to make me leave. There was, I was told by my father that he would return my money if I was to leave Harley. So she basically had to choose between a fallout between me and her father and her family life, and she chose her family. And $14,000. No, no, it was more than $14,000 per pound. She took what we believe in the region of $50,000. Oh, brother. She pretty much wiped us out. So that was it. She had planned it and planned it, and I believe... And this was reported to Gloucestershire Police as well, and to the UK justice system. I believe that her and her father 
were behind poisoning me because they knew that they couldn't get that money back. Right. And when I was about to find out that there was a massive black hole because of, you know, booking our holiday, that was it. She decided, I've got to go. And that was it. The, uh, the poisoning had failed and she had no other choice. Did they detect anything in your blood work? No, they didn't. They didn't. You know, like I said, I didn't even finish that bowl of Cheerios, you know, and they're saying that quite simply because how poison works is if you put it in with the food, my right. body is detected as a foreigner here, you know, and it's throwing it straight back out, which is exactly what was happening. And that was it. So she pretty much got away with it. But the lucky thing there was it was all put on to my medical records. So we skipped now three years because the courts do not want to address this situation. The police do not want to address this situation. We turn up in court in one of the very last days I was in court and they think that they've got the golden egg. All right. They say, here's the day that you visited the hospital, Mr. Radford. And it says here that you had a chaperone. She was never taking you to hospital. All right. Okay. So who's that man at the bottom there that says chaperone? And I said, no, no, that's that's not my chaperone. I said, um, whilst I was in that hospital quarantined area, they had to do a inspection. It was put to me that I had a fella with a very large finger go up my bottom, or this little lady with little fingers has a look in my bottom. Now they said, we think that you'd prefer her put a finger in your bottom than him. That being the case, she needs a chaperone. And that's exactly who the chaperone was. It was a male nurse. Oh, interesting. And they tried to say that was the person who took you to the hospital. Yeah. So as soon as the penny clicks that this was a male chaperone for that situation, there's all the looks across the courtroom and they're all shaking their heads as if to say, we can't continue this line of questioning. They knew that I'm 100% honest, 100% genuine, right, that that actually happened. And it was down to her and she fled. What she did was she tried to murder me by poisoning to cover up what her and her father had done. And the courts knew on the balance of probability, would I be telling the truth? Of course, it's obvious. You can't piece nurses in hospital reports together that you have no access to. Correct. It all fell apart around them in the court. And the judge, she swept it under the carpet. Going on with finding a fact hearing, they wanted the finding a fact hearing. A judge reserved the case for himself. He postponed it and adjourned it over a few months. I've obviously paid for a barrister to come in. And this barrister, she turns out I've never met her before. She's like, Harley, you've had no police involvement in your life. There's no criminal record. There's nothing about you. She said, uh, I can't see how we can lose. I think we've got this in the bag. So she leaves me to go into the judge's chambers. She's gone for about 15 to 20 minutes. And she leaves me, her chest's out, her chin's up. She's smiling. You know, she returns 20 minutes later. And, and she's shaking with fear. You know, Amy, what on earth wrong? She said, Harley's found you guilty of domestic abuse. She said, you can't go into this courtroom. She said, please do not go into that courtroom. So this is now 21 months along. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, he wanted this part of the case. We're here. I'm not backing down. I'm not guilty of domestic abuse. I did not abuse her. I protected that girl. I protected her because she was my family. And whether she'd done right or wrong, you know, I would have been behind her 100%. Yep. No, you know, we've got to get to the bottom of this. She says, the judge said that he will give you access to your children straight away if you do not put the mother through the finding a fact hearing. And I'm like, that's not a mother. It's not a mother. All right, what she has done and what those children have experienced, right, she's not a mother. She is not making good decisions for them children. She fell into a relationship with a paedophile. 
in a women's refuge. Those two adults, Bello, the paedophile, in revenge, started messaging me from the women's refuge, telling me what it was doing to my six-year-old daughter, and then sent me videos of it. What'd the cops do with that? What do you think they did? I can't imagine they did nothing with videos. The press would have been all over that. I promise you now, I've still got the videos, I've still got all the messages. Uh, Brother. The police... It came back, they don't have a resource. they done a welfare check, the child was safe, but it was away from the paedophile. So this, one of the pictures that was sent to me was of a penis against my daughter's teddy bear's mouth, right? Very muddled. Yeah. So, of course, you know, all this lot came about. I went straight to Gloucester Court with these videos as it was happening. As they and Gloucester Court turned me away, said, if you do not leave here now, we will have you arrested. But it's absolutely gospel. A mother doesn't do that to her children. So going back to where we were with the courts, we proceeded into the courtroom and the barrister is her head's down. I see tears fall onto the court bundle. She is shaking with fear. The judge storms into the courtroom and he bellows at me. This is not how we do things. I suggest you leave. So we're 21 months along and you wanted this court case. You wanted this finding a fact here and I can see no other way forwards. We need to get on with it. So in that finding a fact, it comes out that there was no abuse because she admitted to what she had done, given her father the money, um, which the judge played ignorant to. You know, we swept that under the carpet. Just corrupt. The money's the motive for everything right here. So you're sweeping the motive under the carpet. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. Yeah, so that was the motive for absolutely everything. But no interest, no interest. The police, but prior to that, you gave her access to that money. So it's not stolen. Right. How could you withhold finances from your family? You know, That's domestic violence. Well, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's the other part of the court where I was, well, taken to court. Did you message Amanda, the mother, more than three times trying to find out where your children are. I said, yeah, of course I did. I, I messaged her 10,000 times, not three. <laughs> I said, well, on those grounds, we're going to do you for harassment. Can't be involved in the magistrate's court. Uh, my solicitor for the family courts, he said, make sure they do not give you a order. So I spoke with the magistrate's um, solicitor. She said, you need to plead guilty and then concentrate on the family court. You don't need this going on. You don't need two court cases going on. Plead guilty, pay the fine, concentrate on getting your family back together. Okay? I said, look, they're not going to put a restraining order on. She said, no, no, this is going to be a fine, you know, and that's it. So I pleaded guilty. They wedged on, I think it was £1,100 worth of fines. Which isn't a massive amount of money, but to a thief, taking another £1,100 is, um, you know, uh, quite a bonus, really, isn't it? Yeah, good principle, yeah. And then, at the end of all that, they then said, we're going to put a restraining order on. And I'm like, I would have gone, not guilty. Of course. So they tricked me into a guilty plea. You know, that is... The UK, the Cheltenham Magistrates Court tricked me and then that restraining order was then used in the family court. Oh, Mr. Radford's a bad person. He's got a restraining order against him. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, I pleaded guilty because I was emotionally 
blackmailed into pleading guilty. Now, who wouldn't take that? Absolutely. Of course you would. You know, they will never, ever take responsibility for what they've done. They're all making money on it. Yes. It is always, always comes back down to the money. I would give my children every penny. I'm not giving it to barristers who are quite openly corrupt and coursing more lies and corruption. They, they find it funny. They find what they're doing funny. You fight for your children, that costs money. You were away from home an awful long time. What was things like for her when you were gone? Um, you know, she had everything. There was nothing. She had a nice car, she had a nice home, she had nice holidays. She had absolutely everything. We had awesome children. You know, those children in our, our little village, they were loved by everybody. Why does a woman do that? And it was simply to save face. That's all it was. You know, she had moved away. She had got close to her cousins, from what I understand. And she just wanted a new life. One where she could take as much money from me as she could. And whatever it was she was up to whilst I was away had failed, from what I understand. Her relationship with her father, obviously in tatters again. She just wanted a clean slate without me, without Callum. And that was it. Just wiped us all out completely. So that was 21 months ago. What happened since then? So we went back to court. Kafkas. So the first Kafkas officer, he couldn't find any legitimate reason for why she had done what she had done. Women's aid slammed the door in his face and basically told him to get out. So they wouldn't even communicate with Kafkas. Well, um, now for the American audience, what's Kafkas? So they speak for the children in the family court. Okay. All right. So they go along, they interview the children. They also do the research on myself. You know, my history. So from the age of 15, 16, there isn't any history, not even points on my driving license because I was a workaholic. Mm. I worked away from home on the oil rigs at him in North Sea, places like that, all over the place. You're an EHS manager? Uh, environmental engineer. So I've done chemical engineering. I used to work with very nasty gases, very nasty acids. You can't have other things going on in your life. You know, when you're working with somebody else's life, when you're responsible for completing risk assessments and, you know, making sure that everything is done 100% correct, you have to be 100% focused. So I focused on the work and bringing in our money, mm-hmm. leaving her to focus on the family life, running the family home. She had whatever money she wanted. She had a lovely car. She was best friends with all of my family. Yes, she had been in our family for 18 years. Obviously, I'd never once fallen out with her family, apart from her dad, who I never really actually got to speak with face-to-face after he took us of thousands of pounds in 2006. You know, I didn't go looking for trouble there. Right. Just to clear up what I could. I paid off his debts and moved on from it. And he came back in... Well, he finished off when he started, basically. Right. And he's destroyed my children's health and family in the process. What was her relationship like with her father? You know, he left his children. He, he had no involvement as such in bringing up his children. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just a, a rotten person. So your wife grew up in a disposable dad family? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, she did. So they don't know the value of a dad? No. No, they do not. 
No, I do not. He That's wanted it. nothing and he paid for nothing. Hmm. You know, a, a complete waster of a man. And when you put that type of man up against who I am, you know, like we said, a workaholic, we're just so far apart, we're not going to see eye to eye. So there's no point falling out with the bloke because he would never understand. He's a parasite, what he is. And you don't need men like that in your life. This had to have affected your physical health. I am even having problems with my memory at this time. It wears on you. Yeah. So the doctors send me to a neurologist. I have an MRI scan. And the neurologist says I'm suffering with cerebral atrophy, Hmm. which is brain shrinkage. Now, I don't need to go into great detail with the neurologist, you know, but he knows that I'm in major issues with the family court. And he kind of understood. Now, going forward, what I'm saying is, is the UK justice system and its supporting organisations are responsible for that. That is actual bodily harm by psychological abuse. They assisted in this kidnapping. Going forwards from that, because obviously I've, I've been quite outspoken with the courts and quite honest and quite direct, I then, I'm told by my solicitor, you're not going to win in court. You know, this is tearing you apart. We can see it. So I then moved away, um, a couple of hundred miles away from, from Cheltenham. My mother phones me up, um, says, we've... Uh, Jeff, a road next door neighbour, he's just been on the phone. There's a load of police, armed police, surrounded our road house. They're looking for you. Right, okay, so I phone at Gloucestershire Police, and they're like, no, Mr. Radford, nobody's looking for you. I'm like, look, look, you know, these people, they ain't going to lie. This is my mother and my right. dad's best friend. All right, they don't, they're not going to lie about this. No, nope, nobody wants to lie. So I'm with my new partner, and she's listening to this. It's later on that night. My mum phones me up again. She's like, what did the police want? And I'm like, there wasn't any police there, mum. You know, they said that you're lying. She's like, we're not going to lie about something. I said, I know. She said, well, Jeff said that this is something like out of a movie scene. These officers were feral. All of them had great big guns. What on earth? So it wasn't the phone at the uh, Gloucestershire police again. No, Mr. Radford, we'll get somebody to give you a call back. So midday the next day, still no phone call. Of course, you know, people are asking questions now. Gloucestershire police, still nothing. So I call them back up again, 48 hours later, this is, and I'm like, look, people are asking questions. You had around about 20 armed officers surrounding that house. You want to speak to me. You're telling me that there is absolutely nothing on record that you want to speak to me about. No, Mr. Radford, these people are not telling you the truth. I wish they recorded it. So I say, I'm going to my local police station. All right, I'm going to sit there until you give them answers as to why there was about 20 feral armed officers outside my old address looking for me. So I get to that local police station. They're like, well, this doesn't sound right, but you can't stay here. You've got to leave. And I'm like, well, I'm not really going anywhere until you get me answers. And they're like, we will look into it, but you need to leave. Like, okay, 20 minutes later, phone call comes back. You need to come back to the police station. Can you show us some ID? Yeah, there's my passport, there's my private licence. Okay, thank you. Gloucestershire Police did attend your address, but we don't know why. So why are they telling me they didn't? She said, we don't know. So then the uh, 
chief inspector of Norfolk Constabulary comes out and he says, they did attend, but you're going to have to tell us why. I have no idea at all other than I've been so honest with the UK justice system over the kidnapping of my children. He said, yeah, so we understand. He said, but we don't have any answers for you. Right, okay. He said, what we are concerned about is some photographs that we've seen. Right, okay. He said, can you tell us what these are? I said, yeah, these are holiday photos, these are, of us in machine gun America. We're, we're holding props, prop guns, oh, in, no. a, in, a stage, in a stage. You know, we're talking sort of like four-year-old children. Is this the Disney World? Guns. The Disney yeah. World scene? I know, I know yeah. exactly where you are. <laughs> All right. So they found something on the internet. They went searching for a reason to send those armed police out to my address. What they, where they believed I lived. Now, I'd changed my address completely legally, even on the driving license. It had all been changed. Right. They had no reason to go to that address whatsoever, especially with about 20 armed officers. Now, what I'm going to say here is absolutely gospel. They grasped or tried to grasp an opportunity for assassination to shut me up. I've been so brutally honest in that courtroom about the way they have used children as products for financial gains. They traffic children. We're talking about the UK justice system. They're so greedy, they openly tell lies just to put something down on paper so that then in years to come, they can come back and say, oh, this is what we've got on paper. This must be the truth. I'm telling you that the UK judges welcome lies they make lies up. The final report in the court case was 90% nonsense and lies. Now, I told the judge this as well. They acted out of spite for my sheer honesty, and they tried to assassinate me that day. I told them that they actually make me feel so sick I want to spew up all over that courtroom floor because using and abusing children, you'd be absolute poo stain on humanity. And you do it for money. There's no excuse for it. No excuse whatsoever. You make me sick. So they were extremely angry with that. The judge ended up fleeing the courtroom. You could see that in her face, she knew, you know, and and I I told her, what you're doing is very wrong. It was suggested by CAFCAS. The CAFCAS officer also employed by Women's Aid. It was suggested to them that I'm a case of potential future harm, not to the children, to the ex. But my skills, my skill set makes me a very resourceful man and I'm a potential danger to them all. No danger to anybody. I've never hurt anybody in my life. It's my job to protect people. What are you going to do, the 20-year silica plan? You're going to get them that way? I'm going to expose them to asbestos and in 25 years she'll be a goner. Yeah. Yeah, or, or as you'll be aware, you know, when you keep people alive in a confined space, you also know how to, to keep somebody dead no, as well. That. But I'm not dangerous, not at all. And the proof that, you know, they've used and abused my children for the past six years is proof that I'm not the danger here. You know, I've not reacted to them. I've not screamed and shouted and bellowed, threatened. I've just simply calmly told them the truth. I'm trained to tell people the truth. You know, this is where we messed up, right? And that's what I've done, is I've calmly told them the truth. 
The UK justice system have quite simply responded, do not contact us again, in an email, in exactly that short a sentence, do not contact us again. The courts. They failed. They failed because I still walk and talk and tell people just how disgusting the UK justice system is. It is the cesspit of abuse. You know, it is genocide to deliberately cause mental harm. And that's what we're doing. They are deliberately causing mental harm. They are deliberately teasing and tormenting parents to suicide. Once they've got one parent out of the way, it pretty much extinguishes an argument as such because there's nobody to argue with. So that is why you'll find that the suicide rate with child access issues is so high. It's because the UK justice system being the family court, bolstered up by the magistrates' court, they've tricked and teased people using children to suicide, right, through mental trauma. It is so painful when they keep your kids. I can't think of anything more disgusting than to inflict harm onto a child the way they do. Oh, I would have preferred physical harm over the mental harm when I didn't have access to my children. It is excruciating. Yeah, you're right. The audio is driving me nuts, brother. Do you ever get any information about your kids? Do you hear anything about them? I get two letters a year, which are the health reports and the school reports for the children. So the report that I received just before Christmas said that one of my children needs psychological assessments. Hmm. Now, this goes straight back, and I did email the court with my concerns as said you have basically just been proven right but you are responsible for whatever this child is going through because i didn't need trouble in my life i had a hectic work life i most certainly didn't need to invite any more trouble at all you know i wanted a quiet family life you know same i'll give anything give anything to see my children just once more well what are we doing how do we get you back in your kids lives well from where we are it's it's tormented me to suicide you know, I took an overdose. From what I understand, I spent five days pretty much unconscious after four packs of painkillers and a litre of vodka. Um, you know, I came back in a mess. That is the consequences of the UK justice system and how they wipe your human rights away and abuse you. You know, they uh, abuse your money. I was naive to trust the UK justice system because deep down in my heart, I knew I'd done nothing wrong. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm a father to these children anymore. You know, I feel that I was the best father that could possibly be given to a child. And obviously, I'm not saying that I'm a better dad than anyone else. But to my children, I was there for them. Yeah. Um, how do we move forwards and, and get these children back in my life? We get mother, you know, and her paranoid schizophrenic brainwashing mentality dealt with because that's all it can be is is brainwashing to think that somebody's going to just come along and kill you you know after all the wrong that she's done i got no time to even discuss it with her of course i support that if you were a bad man and you're a bully all right or you're an abuser then you deserve you come up and you know you, you deserve what's coming and your kids are mid-teens now right the, the girl would now be 11 and the boy's 12 Okay, then there's still some time to get in there. Now, can you legally be around them? 
So we've pushed it from a district judge because a district judge did not have it in him to do what was right. Yeah. Like I said, he bullied that barrister. So I told the court, you know, that he had absolutely bullied this barrister. And I want a higher court judge, the highest judge that we've got in the land, please, mm-hmm. to deal with this. So they gave me a circuit judge. And even with all the photographic evidence and everything else, didn't mean anything. Did not mean anything. Like I said, in, in that final report, it was 90% lies and nonsense. Now, I don't mind somebody making a few mistakes, but when you have to make a report up full of lies to eradicate somebody from, you know, their children's lives, that's corruption. Yeah. She's also put, from what I understand this, she's put a non-molestation order in place until the girl is 21 years old. The boys will then be 22. Right then, good luck. That's a massive order to make sure that I have absolutely no contact with these children until they're adults. And she done that through spite, absolute spite, because I told her she'd make me feel sick the way she uses children as weapons. No need for it. Have you started the handwritten letter thing or getting cards for them for their birthdays and just keeping them in a box so one day you can give them everything? Yeah, so, yeah, I've obviously got, you know, a lot of memories in what I can do, but, but what that'll be when they're 21 years old, that will mean very little to a 21-year-old. I remember what it was like to be 21 years old. Yeah, You know, I'm, I'm out there, I'm focusing on my career. I'm out there working for, for my child. You know, Callum was born when I was 21. I have my family, you know, I was providing for that mother as well at the age of 21. Um, You know, I, I look at where I was at 21, extremely responsible young man with a mortgage and hopefully my children will be the same. Will they have time for somebody that they've been brainwashed into being a, a danger? I don't think they will. I genuinely do not think they will. The parental alienation, the brainwashing and the trauma, they're not going to want to hear something different to what their mother tells them. They're not going to want to hear the truth. That is tough. My saving grace, you know, if it ever comes about, will be our eldest son. Because if we can all sit down, there's a chance that he could turn around and say, Dad wasn't a dangerous man. Right, he was 17, he was there. He was 17, he was there. Um, You know, he knows, you know, he knows the absolute truth. There's no way that I would have ever abused his mother. Didn't happen. Did me and his mother have fallouts? Yes, we did. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting up in this process? Seems like we're going to lose our connection soon. From the very start, if you suspect your partner of cheating, do not, do not address it with her, because this is when the accusations of abuse start. If she's cheating, you leave. Hmm. You do not start addressing anything that can be manipulated. Leave. It's that simple. Do not trust the UK justice system, or or even Western justice systems. You know, like the USA, even Europe. They can't be trusted. I would love to see these judges in the International Criminal Court and held accountable for what they've done to families in the UK and the USA. All a very similar problem. You know, we're all pretty much under the same rules and regulations and laws. Totally lost you, Harley. Yeah, man, I really appreciate your time. I really do. And your yeah. story is as heartbreaking as it is. I know you're not alone out there. And you know you're not alone out there because we're in the False Allegations Network together. Uh, there's so many guys out there who I know this story is going to help. And 
if they can get ahead of the curb by hearing your story, by hearing my story, they might be able to save a lot of time or, or get a lot of time back with their children that we've lost. Yes. Don't fight in the family court. There isn't a way forward through the family court. I was the abuser simply because I turned up at court for court. You froze up again, brother. Harley, go enjoy your Saturday, man. Thank you. Goodbye, Chuck. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon, man. Cheers, pal. Bye-bye. Brothers and sisters, if you get anything out of today's show, remember this. Follow the court's orders or the courts will retaliate against you. Our brother came into the courtroom after being told not to, and this caused the judge to react. And right or wrong isn't the point. Just know the outcome of pissing off the judge isn't going to work in your favor. By going into a courtroom when you're told not to, you're playing right into the false allegations game. This gave Harley's wife a chance to show the court that she was scared of him. She was afraid to come in the courtroom. And this only delayed his access to his children. Now don't get me wrong, man. 21 months without seeing your kids is a long time. Ridiculous. The right to a speedy trial over there has got to start because the stress they're putting on these guys is criminal. I'm sorry. Criminal. And this falls squarely on the UK justice system and their lack of a speedy trial. 21 fucking months without an answer about your kids? Of course you're going to storm the courtroom. You're going to storm everywhere. Put yourself in that situation and tell me how you'd react. You know what? Actually email us at whydaddyneverCries at gmail. If you weren't allowed information about your kids for 21 months, how would you react? Don't trust the other side's lawyers, man. I can't stress that enough. They're not on your side. Because Harley took the advice of the other side's attorneys, he received a restraining order. Because that's what they needed to win, not what he needed to win. They don't care about you or your kids. They're not on your side. That's why they're the other side's lawyers. Don't jam yourself up out of perceived principles. Who cares if the cops have an attitude? Make sure you know the repercussions of your actions before you act. Who cares if the judge is not on your side? Nobody's on your side, because you're on your kid's side. The main thing I think we need to come away from all this? I want all the down daddies out there to know one thing. Your job is to get your kids back in your life, not to take on the system. Leave that to me and the other guys. All right? Your job is to get back into your children's lives. For now, you can leave taking on the bullies to us. So this episode turned out to be one hell of a technical learning curve for our team. Here's a couple of outtakes to end on a funny note. Yes. Losing you again, brother. Totally lost you, Harley. Your picture froze. Your voice sounds like you're underwater. I think we lost you, Harley. You're back. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Dave. Oh, you're very clear now. Can you hear me? Can't hear you, brother. Good, good. Perfect, brother. All right, what do you got, Joe? We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram and let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children's syndrome that's plaguing this world. You can't change what happened to you, brothers. So figure out how to make it work for you and your children. When life gave me lemons, I said to hell with a glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So until next time, take a deep breath. You've got this, Daddy. Don't snowman.